Hey guys. Hey guys. Welcome back to the Selfie Show. It's Tori. And Sam. Two besties bring you all things healthcare, humor, and unpopular opinions. Hey, this one gets me fired up. Yes, absolutely. And it's very aligned with this episode. So um, many of you know, I have been sharing the fertility journey over on IG. And today we're going to deep dive into all the things that I didn't say on IG. (laughs) This is like (laughs) behind the scenes. But actually, what's funny about this is Jess and I had connected through Instagram. She reached out once I was sharing my journey. And it's so insane because for I, I this is like where the world is like kismet and everything happens the way it should and like people come into your life at these times just came into my life at the perfect time and so I thought we have to bring her on the show and share this mm-hmm. with all of you because there's so many things that she brought to me and helped me through this process and so today's like all things fertility 101 all the things that they don't tell you, all of the behind the scenes, like we're breaking down the hard questions, cost. This is, this is just a fucking good episode, you guys. It's so good. Lots of good information. Mm-hmm. Okay, before we get into that, we got to know what is the unpopular opinion this week, Miss Samantha? I'm not even talking health care system in general or just the healthcare we receive. I'm talking specifically insurance companies and insurance coverage is insanely misogynistic Mm. for what they choose to cover and not cover. Preach. So even to touch on this episode, the fact that most insurance coverage, whether it's employer, for sure, if it's like self-pay, like really does not include fertility coverage. And I just think it's really interesting that we will cover your erectile dysfunction Mm -hmm. medication, but we won't like cover your fertility. Absolutely. And a lot of the fertility things are tied to actual diagnosis, like low ovarian reserve Mm -hmm. or due to your endometriosis or PCOS or et cetera. And I don't consider, like, I understand that cosmetic stuff is an elective procedure. Yeah. Like you don't need cosmetic surgery or cosmetic treatments. And that's why insurance doesn't cover that stuff. I don't think choosing to have a child is like elective. Like there's people like you, yes, it's a choice. But it's so that's also like a big part of life. Mm-hmm. And having sex for pleasure is completely elective. Right. Like, oh, your dick doesn't work. You don't get a boner anymore. <laughs> don't have sex then. It's elective. Like you don't. Right. Like you'll help the man, but you're uh-huh. not going to help the woman in her for in the fertility process. Yeah. Which, 100%. It's like so expensive and it's crazy. And in general, like pro, we're made to procreate it right. doesn't mean you have to right like if you don't ever want to choose to have kids that's totally fine and that's your prerogative but it's just also I don't understand if it was men having the baby 100 yes. reversed yeah. this would be covered it For would sure. absolutely be covered yeah like 100%. oh my gosh men you're having trouble getting pregnant well of course we're gonna have insurance cover absolutely it. and yeah i just it it really makes me angry. Yeah. I also have an extension on this as for my unpopular opinion this week. I feel like fertility shouldn't be taboo. I mm-hmm. feel like it's so interesting because having opened up about this and, you know, kind of talking more publicly about it, it's interesting because like a lot of the um, reciprocation that I get is thank you for sharing. This is so like amazing, blah, blah, blah. And to me, you know, and I know we are in this time of like, mm-hmm. yes, we're getting progressive. We're talking about things, but truly when I say this, it shouldn't be taboo. And I know it's very personal to a lot of people, but for me, I think that this is something 
that we should be opening up about. We should be talking about very transparently, um, opening up doors and opportunities. And there's so many amazing things going on out there. And we want to provide you guys with the best resources. But fertility is very taboo. And it's very, I think, private for a lot of people, which is absolutely your prerogative, if that's Mm -hmm. the way. But I like sharing. And I think this is, you know. Yeah, it's personal. And if you don't feel like sharing that journey with everyone, by all means, don't. But I don't think you should be embarrassed to talk about those struggles because it's Mm -hmm. not something wrong with you. It's not you're not the only one. It's not like a personal failure or anything like that. So, you know, if you don't want to share it because you just don't feel like people knowing your business, totally fine. But don't not or feel like you can't talk about it because yeah, you can you're like embarrassed <laughs> or anything. Well, and okay, the other thing too. I don't know, nothing embarrasses me these days. I that's know. Let's <laughs> share everything. Um, the other thing I want to say is I think it's really interesting and shout out to all the employers out there who are covering fertility. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of employers that are starting to cover whatever it may be, um, 20,000 for a lifetime or, you know, covering everything. And honestly, I think it's creating a happier employee a happier workplace Mm -hmm. I think it's it is insane because what we're about to talk today talk about today the biggest barrier is financial I will be 100% transparent about that and so I'm really excited because I think that this is becoming a bigger thing that you know a lot of these tech companies are covering and even some healthcare you know I know a lot of people who work for certain hospitals they're getting it covered more often which Mm -hmm. is really exciting I hope that that continues because we're just over this misogynistic insurance based issue. I'm over insurance companies in this country. They're all. Oh, they're all awful. Scam. Horrible. Um, Okay. Well, that being said, we are going to get into it with the guest of this week. Get ready for a fabulous, informative episode, you guys. Yes, so we have Jess McNamara. She's a nurse. She's a former L&D and fertility nurse, and she is coming on to give us all the information about fertility treatments. She's worked at one of the country's largest fertility clinics in the U.S. However, she saw a gap in the industry and support for women she knew they were missing. She needed more time with her patients to explain treatment cycles, answer questions, and provide support. She was hoping to fill that gap by starting her fertility treatment support services and has really grown into like a concierge service as well. Mm -hmm. Jess turned her experience into a small business offering consults and concierge services for support for women like me. So if you're wondering, is this the right time to freeze your eggs? Are you currently in an IUI, IVF, FET cycle? Are you feeling lost and don't know where to start? Well, guess what, you guys? This is the episode for you. You are in the right place. So no matter what stage you're currently in, Jess is here to answer all these questions. Her goal is really to help women feel prepared, confident, and supported in all aspects of fertility. So the things we're going to cover today, you guys, we're going to talk egg freezing, IUI, IVF, FET cycles, and uh, common questions that you might have, fertility fads, what's going on, what's in, what's out, the cost of egg freezing, IVF and fertility treatments, how to pick a fertility clinic, the do's and don'ts of egg freezing, and how to advocate for yourself during this time. 
Also, disclaimer, this is not medical advice. The information in this episode is formational and recreational purposes only. It is not recommended to use this episode as medical advice. Contact your physician for questions. Do your due diligence. Absolutely. But enjoy. But enjoy. Oh, it's so a good, one. good. All right, you guys, buckle up and let's welcome Jess to The Selfie Show. First question, iconic question, what is your unpopular opinion? Okay, so my unpopular opinion is kind of, so I'm living in Europe right now, and nobody in Europe uses a dryer. And it is like throwing me for a loop. And I know like everyone in America, you're like, okay, we all use dryers, but nobody here uses them. It's very unpopular to have a dryer and at that one that actually works. So I have been like hanging my underwear up in the kitchen and like in all these places where we can just get them to dry. And a little funny story with that is that when we were in Croatia this fall, actually my husband Ryan found one of my thongs across the street. <laughs> and he was like, that's definitely yours. And I was like, no, 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 it's not. Like, I'm sure it's, it's like, not. I know. He, it, it was like my favorite one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh that God. was... That was mine. And so that is, I really want dryers back. That is my, my, I didn't realize that. There's so many weird differences. I'm so lazy. I used to be doing laundry right before my shift and I would be pulling my stuff just in time out of the dryer. So if I, that requires way too much planning in advance, like early doing your laundry, it requires you actually being organized and having your life together. (laughs) I need the convenience of a dryer. Yeah, absolutely. And then if it starts to rain, you have to be like, oh, oh. crap, let me run out and go grab everything and bring it back yeah. in and it's not dry yet. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's process. Well, what about in like winter months? How do you do it in, in winter months? Like if it's, yeah. That's why it's in the kitchen. Cold undies. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they would just freeze. But yeah, no, we just hang it up like everywhere in our apartment. I think okay. the weirdest thing about Europe is they don't like ice. No. Like oh, yeah. All of their drinks Correct. are served yes. mm-hmm. room temperature. And then if you ask for ice one time, I don't know if I was in Italy or France. I don't remember. I asked for ice and they brought out like a bowl with three ice cubes in it. And I had to put and I'm like, just, I want I just that want ice. Very European I'm like, I'm thing. anemic. I need to chew on ice. Yes. I want ice. Please give well, me ice. And to piggyback off that, they just don't drink water the way we do either. So I'll be like, no, like I want big carafe of water i don't want the tap water that's half full because we just skied all day we need some more yeah. water than this so it just, it's just differences in culture and stuff but the dryer one has okay. been getting me lately I'm like come on guys let's get yeah, it going yeah, yeah yeah okay we need to know like everything about you like where you started yes. your nursing journey and then now how you ended up in switzerland yeah yeah so i so if we go back to like nursing and stuff, I started out in labor and delivery and I worked at a like inner city, inner city hospital in Pittsburgh. And I absolutely love that job, loved the high stress movement. We have a lot of a lot of patients and babies being born. And then I switched over to fertility and I worked for one of the biggest fertility clinics in the country. They're like a powerhouse and they had actually just started a clinic in Pittsburgh when I joined. So I got to, got to get in there early, got to learn a lot. I worked for an amazing, amazing boss. And she basically taught me everything that I know. And she's a fertility genius. Um, but we actually, Ryan and I ended up 
getting married. We did a destination wedding last year in Portugal. And so once we kind of, we got a taste of that and we just wanted to keep traveling. So we both are out here now and I just, I, I miss my job a lot and I miss the patients. So that's kind of why I dove in and, and started fertility treatment support. But that we're, we're out here kind of shuffling around. We're doing what's called the Schengen shuffles because we didn't get a visa anywhere. So we stay like 90 days in the Schengen zone and then we're going to go to the UK for spring and then we'll come back later. So that's awesome. Yeah. What an amazing journey. I, I absolutely love this for you. How long do you guys think you have like a time limit on this or like what's your travel plans? What do you guys? Yeah. So I think we're, we're only going to do it for a year. And I think that if we had it like our way, we might do this for a very extended period of time, but we do miss our dogs so much and our parents have our dogs. So we're, we're going to go back and grab them and figure out what we're going to do in the States. We have no idea yet, but we'll probably go back in September of this year. Are you going to shoot for trying to get like a visa out there so you don't have to do the 90 day hops? While we're here, no, we kind of have a plan now. We've liked doing like the three month stint thing because it we want to see a lot and experience a lot, but we do kind of want to acclimate a little bit. And for me, I enjoy kind of having a home base and getting to unload everything and get a sense of like where I'm shopping for my groceries and everything like that. So I've I've enjoyed that piece. But in the future, if we wanted to stay long term, we would definitely do the visa thing. But we'd have to jump through quite a bit of hoops to get the big, big dogs over here. So I'm not sure what we're going to do. Well, in the day and age that we're in, let me just tell you how thankful I am that I discovered you recently. So obviously, Sam and I have been talking about this a long time. We fertility just sort of as a baseline and then egg freezing. And I absolutely love this because you slipped into my DMs and you sent me the most amazing message. And when you're kind of sifting through DMs, you can kind of tell the ones that are good and, and whatnot. And with yours, you were just so genuine and you just said, hey, if you're interested, I have some information. Like, just feel free. If you don't want to talk to me, totally fine. But it was just such a genuine, wonderful message. And it kind of led me down this road. And I ended up working with you during my egg freezing process. And I can just tell you 100% the things that you were telling me and you were kind of giving me the behind the scenes of an understanding of what was happening and we're going to get into more details of how you helped me. We're talking finances and everything. But I'm so thankful to have found you. And I was like, we have to have you on today. This is just something that I think we we don't know what we don't know. And it's very, there's so much information out there, right? You don't know what's credible. You don't know what's not. And so, and so much of the insight you gave me was so invaluable. So we're going to deep dive into all of those things and so much more today. But we want to start with maybe, let's go back to like background. Like let's start your life journey. Okay. All right. Well, baby Jess was born in Northern Virginia, which is kind of like, think of like suburbs of DC, but those suburbs go out, out pretty far. I'm the oldest of three kids. I grew up, Ryan likes to jump with like a Mulberry Street. I had an amazing childhood. I was very fortunate. I had two great supportive parents and played a lot of sports, studied hard, ended up going to Virginia Tech for my first degree. And that first degree was in human nutrition, foods and exercise. And I decided I don't want to be a dietitian. So then I went back and got my second degree in nursing, got my BSN and then became a nurse. We moved to Pittsburgh and and started in L&D. So 
What inspired kind of the transfer from L&D to fertility? Because I think that's not a specialty that we really think of as nurses that we can go into Mm because it's an outpatient sort of set setting situation Mm -hmm. and it's not really presented as a career path for us. For sure. Absolutely. So I actually had a family friend that worked for the clinic in D.C. and she had told me about it. She had actually been a patient herself and was so passionate about the process and loved this clinic that she was like, hey, if you're looking for a change, we're opening an office where you are in Pittsburgh. And I was all ears. Fertility has always been something that I I found important and like I've loved. And when she was telling me about it, I just like I really just jumped into it. I was ready for a change to slow it down from like the little setting and stuff. Working in fertility is a wonderful work-life balance, I think, compared to the hospital inpatient thing. And if you're out there, whether you're a NICU or you're an L&D, wherever you are, it is something worth looking into because it's it's awesome. They even have, sometimes you're able to work remotely as a nurse too, which doesn't happen all the time. You get kind of like a good balance in there. So, so it was really an awesome transition for me. And they it, it was an entirely new world for me. And I'm sure like you guys know when you went through this process, it's just like I had no idea how involved it was. And it's a new medicine compared to a lot of the other specialties out there, but it's incredibly interesting. And what a time to live in a world where we're able to do this stuff. So I really 100%. enjoyed getting to be a part of it and helping people yeah. build their families. So Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, and kind of along that bloodline, I'm curious, like what's something about becoming a fertility nurse that you did not expect? So I think really the thing that stood out to me was how many people actually go through fertility treatment. I had never, and and we're getting better at it for sharing our journeys on social media and just talking about it in general, but I didn't have any friends that had gone through it. I didn't really know. So once I started and I was seeing how fast our wait list build up being a new office and just seeing the amount of people that were coming in and needed a a little extra support. I was just, I was shocked by that. I didn't know. And it's really just goes to say that you're not alone if you're going through this journey. There are so many people out there like you. And it, that to me was probably the, the biggest thing that I noticed. I think being a female, I didn't realize how many people until you start to hear about certain friends or family members and you don't realize, but I think a lot of, I know a couple of people, obviously like Tori shared the egg thing and there's other people I know that have shared it, but then there's other people that unless you're super duper duper close to them, yeah. don't share it. And that's their prerogative. I don't right. think anyone should feel it's pressured personal. to share such a personal, personal journey, but it is really nice to know that this is not like, Just, there's so yeah. many people going through it as right. well. 100%. What, what does a day, because obviously this was a big transition and even learning curve in terms of job what do you what do the fertility nurse do like what is oh, your yeah. job okay so I was actually I was a fertility nurse case manager so a lot of my work was desk work and that's what gave me the ability to work from home but typically like a day for me it would I would come into the office around 7 a.m and that's when monitoring would start so that's when patients are coming in to do their blood work and their ultrasounds. And we would have that going until about noon. And I was there, I would work at my desk. And as a case manager, I have my own set of patients. And I'm 
constantly in contact with them. They're calling me with day one of their periods, that kind of thing. We're talking about meds. I'm ordering meds. We're doing that kind of stuff. So that's what I'm working at at my desk. But I'm also there to answer questions in person for the people that are coming through and monitoring that morning. If you're triggering that night, I'm coming out. We're talking about where you're going to give that trigger infection, how we're going to do it. If you have any questions, that kind of thing. And then, and then in the afternoon, we would do callbacks. So all the results from the blood work and ultrasound are reviewed by the doctors. And then they give me a plan. And then I call the patient with the plan. And sometimes that plan is like, hey, you're going to come back in tomorrow. Keep doing what you're doing with your meds. We'll see you tomorrow. Or you're triggering tonight, that kind of thing. And so then we would do that until about 4 p.m. usually. And that's kind of how the structure of the day would go. What's a common myth about fertility or the fertility journey that are in this field that you want to myth bust? Like what's something out there that you think like we just got to talk about this? I think that it's very common for people to assume that it is on the woman's end when there is a fertility issue. And the reality of that, the numbers just aren't there. And the I think it's it's literally 35 percent female factor, 35 percent male factor, 20 percent a combo of both and then 10 percent unexplained. So the, the blame that I think society puts on women is unfair. That's on brand here. No, it is. <laughs> I think too, just the myth about age and everything. Like as a NICU nurse, I think Tori and I have NICU nurse PTSD, as we call it. Like yeah. we only think the worst. And I literally am like, oh, 35, wrap it up, grandma. It's all going to be bad. You're going to be in the NICU, like <laughs> geriatric, whatever. But the more I started researching, I was like actually surprised. But then I think, I don't know, it's just weird. We're not ever educated in, when we take like public health, like when you took all the sex ed right. and stuff, like fertility is not actually part of it. It's not. Like we don't, and then yeah, in nursing school, not. it's not. So it's mm -hmm. like, we don't. It's such a specialty. You don't know anything. Like even when you were transitioning yeah. to this job, how did you learn to be better in this role? Mm -hmm. like, what I resources? leaned on the people around me. Yeah. I was the newbie that was like coming in from l and I was like, okay, we're not having babies here. Can you please <laughs> tell me? Like, I, I I would answer questions sometimes. Or like, I'd get a call and I'd be like, hey, I got to put you on hold. And I had a wonderful teammate literally like a foot away from me. And I'd be like, what do I, what are we going to talk about? Like, I don't know the answer to this. So that's really how I learned was just working through it with the people around me. And like I said, my boss that was there, she was a PA and an office manager. So she, like, how rare is it that you get an office manager that also is on the clinical side so they understand it? Yeah, so totally she nice. was actually she was just like wonderful and was able to help and she explained everything to me. She loved teaching, so it was just a great transition. Fertility in general, too, I feel like it's kind of similar to NICU where it's a little newer in the field and there's things like so rapidly changing, like things are constantly updating the protocols and guidelines and all mm -hmm. these things. What's something about fertility that like no one agrees with you about like what's the one thing that you're like this is definitely something that I feel like mm, nah okay all right I'm gonna come in a little bit hot with this I yes. so when you are struggling to conceive like as a couple right like you haven't gone and talked to your doctor yet you're not really sure what's going on what's the first thing you're gonna do you're gonna google it 
So <laughs> you Google like, hey, I'm having fertility issues. Why should I talk to a doctor? The guidelines that are going to pop up for you and that like are the official guidelines are that if you're under 35, you should try for one year to conceive before seeing a fertility specialist. And if you're over 35, you should try for six months and then see a fertility specialist. But I think that's super misleading. And it really kind of it's when somebody feels like something is wrong and their gut is telling them like, hey, I need some help. You're basically telling them that they can't. So if you have PCOS, endometriosis, I don't know, diabetes, hypothyroid, like common things that people have. That's absolutely a reason to make a fertility mm -hmm. or make a fertility specialist appointment earlier. Or simply if you're feeling anxiety about it or you're like, hey, I think something's wrong. I'd like to get the ball rolling. Let's start some diagnostic testing and let's get started. Because I can't tell you how many times I saw it where these people are like, you know, hey, I, now's the time. Like I waited my 12 months, but then I'm telling them they have to get on a four month wait list to even right. be seen. And then they have to go through all these diagnostic testing before they can even start a treatment cycle. So it's just like which you think takes about months all sometimes. That's yeah. crazy because it does it, and people don't realize like timing wise. Like it's not just like oh, I want to do an egg freezel or an IVF. Like bam, it's like no, it it this takes time. It's a lot more time than people realize. And you can be ready to start a cycle and not be able to do it. Like someone I know was supposed to do their egg retrieval. So it already done, I think, even the trigger shot and then tested positive for COVID, had to cancel that. And it's all that hard oh, work. Man. And I mean, you know how hard it is to go through all those injections to get up to the point to have to cancel it. And then when I went to go do my egg freezing, I did the initial ultrasound and they just said, no, like you don't have enough what the fuck? Good follicle follicles. Follicles. I'm like, we, okay. they weren't happy okay. with my follicle count and said, like, could we go ahead and do it? Yeah, but we don't want to waste your time or money. Let's come back next month, do CoQ10, okay. do acupuncture. Like, let's, when we do it, let's do it right. So it's no guarantee just because you're ready to do it that it's going to, yeah, okay, get in and do it that month. It's like such a journey. And yeah. 12 months is a long time to waste if you're under Absolutely. 35. Well, the other it thing is. too that's interesting and you bring up, Jess, and something that I am just wrapping my head around now is fertility is really linked to endocrine, like that that whole mm -hmm. system. And so what's interesting is, Fertility, actually, when you really look at it, is very much an endocrine specialty. And so to me, it's it's something that like reframing our mindset on that, I think, is right. And it's interesting for and we'll get into my reasoning and everything. But for me, I purely wanted to go just honestly to get one, a baseline to see where okay. I was at. We've never tried to have kids. And just to kind of understand where we're at and from a health perspective, like how can I optimize my fertility. And I think that's actually a really good thing to be talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how can we do better for our bodies? And like, what, maybe I'm missing something, maybe something with Jacob. I didn't want to waste all this time and be like, you have X, Y, and Z. And so all those months that you would have tried, at least for me at the age of 34, going to 35, I'm like, I just don't want to waste time. Like, it's worth the investment for me. And so I think that's a really open and honest and blunt conversation yeah. that I feel like we should be having. Well, and let's say that you honestly did not even go any do any of this route and you decided like last summer I want to get pregnant and you're sitting here pregnant right now you have a beautiful healthy baby you turn 35 you turn 36 now you're 37 you want to try for your second one exactly. and now you run into problems and I know from being 37 and looking at the data on egg counts by age 
and the rapid drop off as you start to get older, it's like, okay, now what if you're running into fertility issues later Later on and when you could have done it now as an insurance or backup plan or some people, someone I know like close to me has low ovarian reserve under the age of 35 and she could have, she did, she wasted a whole year trying herself, trying herself before following the recommendations. And it's like, it doesn't matter. You have low ovarian reserve due to this other medical condition. Nothing was going to change that. So wasting all that time when you could have just had answers and got to know. So I just love that. Although that's your, no one agrees with me about that. You're putting that out there as someone who works in the field because it never hurts to have a baseline or just plan ahead for the future. You don't know where your life's going to be in five years. Absolutely. And to you that a little bit, I forgot to mention that like there's no box that you have to check that says you tried for that long. Like there's no gatekeeper that's going to keep you from that. I've never worked with any doctor or anybody that would not start the process because you made an appointment. So like those are the guidelines online. And I it's like not necessarily unpopular because I think that most people who work in the field agree with me on that. It's just right. that when people are Googling that's what they're being told because that's what the, like the official guidelines of the CDC or wherever. I don't know. Right. And no it's offense, just... but I feel like it's general HCPs that are like, you don't need to go see a specialist yet. Try on your own because they don't work in that field. field. So right. it's no need. I mean, it's everything women. No need to worry. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. just, just feeling give it time. Yeah. yeah. Try yeah. fix your diet and exercise. Okay. It's one more for, like if everything... <laughs> Was fixed by diet and exercise. Yeah, like, right. Okay. Where we would be. I actually, I want to go back a little bit because I okay. want to understand maybe some context mm-hmm. of where we're at now with fertility, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you, can you give us a brief history of fertility and, you know, how we are where we are today? Yeah. Yeah. So Zoe was the first baby that was born like from a frozen embryo transfer. And that was from 1984. And that was in Australia. So Told I guess me. like, hey, yeah, like I when I found that out, I was like, wait, I really thought it was going to be way like, I don't know. I was thinking it would be later than that. But fertility has grown so much since then. And I mean, now we're doing just such incredible things with genetic carrier screening and then being able to genetically test embryos like the PGTM when you can literally find out if an embryo has cystic fibrosis to me absolutely blows my mind. I don't understand how we can do that. The embryologists that work in this field are geniuses. They're incredible. I am just, I mean, it, it, it yeah. is so amazing. So right. we've right. come a long way. We have. I mean, truly. In terms of that too, I kind of want to get into sort of the idea of like fertility 101 because I think so many of us, I know when I started the process, Sam and I were kind of leaning on each other of like, how do we do this? And where do you even start? So let's start with maybe fertility 101. Like what's something, okay. let's say someone's going and they're just like, I have no idea where to start. What's something that you wish all people knew about fertility? I wish that people knew that you're not going to have sex once without a condom and get pregnant. Because I think that like we kind of touched on it before, but like in health classes, we're kind of taught in high school, like going through, they're like, okay, you have sex once without a condom, you're going to get pregnant. And then if you watch Mean Girls, you're going to get pregnant and die. And like, die. you know what I mean? Like, there's <laughs> yeah. just like, you think that the second you start trying, you're going to be able to conceive. And the 
reality of that is that if you have a healthy man and a healthy woman and they are trying to have a baby, the likelihood of them giving pregnant in a certain month is like 15 to 20 percent, like maybe 25 percent just hangs right around that 20 percent line. So it the numbers for that for you to get pregnant with everything going right just aren't that high. So I think we go in with high expectations that it's going to happen quickly for us and it it might not and it probably won't. But that does also doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong. So if you kind of go in with the expectation, it might not happen on the first month. Yeah. Set the expectations. I think it makes me realize I need to be like more responsible because I've internally convinced myself that I'm infertile just because I'm so irresponsible. I'm like, there's no way that I haven't accidentally been knocked up by now. I used to take my plan B with vodka back in the 20s and then I would forget to take birth control. I haven't even been on birth control in five years. Now I'm like, pull and pray, baby, pull and pray. Yeah. And I'm like, there's gotta be. Well, that's gonna gotta be infertile. There's no yeah. way I haven't accidentally been knocked up, but here I am Same. Like, going strong. But I know. I'm like, it actually is not as easy. Like the car, the like stars have to align just right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think as we see yep. all the people that are able to tell that to my like accent, like my mom's a fertile myrtle. Like she was I think like, some people are. Literally had yeah. all three of us accidentally. She just kept accidentally getting <laughs> knocked up with mom. us until she finally tied her tubes because we just kept coming. <laughs> and then it's like, not, and then now like she's like dying for grandkids and we're like, sorry. <laughs> she has oh, two yeah, really good the grandmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The pressure okay. from the parents. Yeah, it's, no yeah, pressure at all. Right? For sure. Yeah. So I think when someone's getting on Google, we already said how that mm-hmm. can lead them down such wrong paths. What should they be searching for or looking for to even get education or started on this process? That is a great question. I think that if you found a like reliable website, there are there are a lot of them out there, but I think that if you found a clinic website like S sorry, Tori, where'd you go? S C R S C R, yeah, Southern California Reproductive Center. Okay. Their website's very good. I know Shady Girl Fertility's website is very good. They go through okay. like almost every option that's out there. They explain it in like a like a very like basic way that, you know, just like anybody could understand. And I think that starting the process and doing that will You'll under you'll get a better idea of what options are out there, and it would also help you feel a lot more prepared for that first appointment. Because I think a lot of people go into that first appointment not doing any research, and then their doctor is only spending an hour with them, and then the doctor's throwing out things like IUI, IVF, and all this lingo that you're like, well, right? What is that? And 100%. they all mean different things. So I think that if you do a little bit of research ahead of time, that it would really serve you well going going forward in the process so let's dive into that research yeah. well, do you have, do you okay. have tips for yeah. choosing a good sure. clinic versus let's a do clinic red then... flag like maybe that's one that you should avoid mm. Ooh. okay because it's a hard. lot of money to like oh it's a lot of money to, and we're gonna to get into spend that. on choosing like you're you're who i'm going with what yeah. are there even just anything that would make you say that's a good doctor you should probably go with versus maybe ooh red flag yeah, I so this is a hard one because I think that the best thing you could probably do is talk to anybody that's done it before and get a referral because I think that's the best way you're going to kind of 
get an idea of what the entire process is like for them. So when you're on Google, obviously location matters, right? You got to be close because mm-hmm. you're going to be going in for a lot of appointments. You need to know right. where you're going to be doing your egg retrieval, like all of that stuff is important. And then if you go down the rabbit hole of Google reviews, it's like the people that are leaving reviews are either really, really happy because they had a successful process or they're really, really pissed off. So like, are you right. getting a fair assessment? I don't know. Yeah. So I think that Talking to people about it is probably your best bet. And then I also think that after that first initial appointment, talking to a doctor, do you feel heard? Are they answering your question? And like, are, do you feel like they would be uh, like, it would be like a good repertoire between you guys. Mm-hmm, and I think right. that that would probably be your best measure because it is really hard. I mean, you're that there's not a lot, a ton of clinic, clinics out there. So it's it's hard to get online and be like, where I don't I don't really have any red flags that I would pull here for that. Right. I think that just word of mouth would probably be the the most solid way to go. Yeah. I think the do you feel heard one. Yeah, that's really my good. my red flag is if I ever feel rushed. Yeah, through and, a consultation or a process or not yeah. feel. I think feeling rushed equates to feeling heard. That's my red flag. And I do think this is sort of that kind of industry where that tends to happen. You and I can we can dive into that a little bit, but I do think. So part of that would be feeling prepared, right, for, mm-hmm. and I think something that you really helped me with was feeling prepared. When you're going through, let's talk fertility, like egg freezing, IUI, IVF, like all the different things. Like, can you do okay. a quick 101 for yeah. each thing so we can really understand, like, the full scope sure. of that, I guess. Sure. It's confusing. So, it is. It is. It really is. And I think I want to make sure I do got do a good job explaining the basics of it, but not going too far down the rabbit hole. So right. I'll, I'll start with IUI because that is the like lowest tech. I don't want to say like least involved. It's still a lot of work, but it's not quite as much as egg freezing or IVF. So an IUI is, and you can do them in multiple ways. So you could just have a natural cycle IUI. You're not necessarily medicated. You could be monitored and come in and they can do the IUI process for you, which is where you're basically just taking out the actual process of intercourse. They're bringing in a sample and then the provider uses a little flexible stylet and puts the sample into the uterus. And it can, it the, the likelihood of getting pregnant with an IUI is a little bit higher than doing it naturally. Medical so turkey that's, baster, right? And, that's the way, yeah. way, way to put it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like a medical turkey, yeah, exactly. And so then you could also do it medicated. You could take a medication like Clomid or Letrozole. And those are oral medications. They're not as expensive as the IVF medication, but you'll typically take those from like day three to day seven of a cycle. And then you'll be monitored after that if you go in around day 11, day 12, day 13 for your IUI. So that's kind of how an IUI cycle will work. Who, just out of curiosity, for IUIs, like who is that a good target audience for? Because I think, yeah, maybe breaking down that. Like, is this for your couples maybe your lesbian gay couples is this for like who is this good for and yes. does clomid can that be prescribed and taken for people who are still trying to naturally conceive through intercourse or if you're doing clomid do you need to also do iui with it no always, you okay. i know that some OBGYNs. i never did it myself but i like heard that some OBGYNs well clomid so you don't necessarily have to be at a fertility clinic for that. Actually, my mom took Clomid for me from her OB joint and she was never monitored or anything. So here I, here I am. Here <laughs> and 
it makes you ovulate, like the likelihood of ovulation go up and you could ovulate a little bit more than one egg too. So the likelihood of twins does go up a little bit as well. I don't know the exact numbers on that, but it just increases your chances. And like like Tori mentioned, this is a great option and a lower cost option if you are going to use a sperm donor. So you don't necessarily have to go through the IVF process to use a sperm donor and you don't have to get weird and do the turkey baits within yourself. But honestly, some people do that. And I, I've actually heard I was listening to a podcast the other day, actually, and I don't want to say get weird because you do whatever you need to do. It's fine. But it it. it it opens the door to do that at a cheaper cost than doing IVF. And it's a great option for that. Okay. And then what would be the next, next. step? Yeah, up? Oh, yeah. Okay. Idea. Right. Okay. So we're uh, next up would be egg freezing. And that is actually the first half of like an IVF cycle. So when you're freezing your eggs, you are going through and it's a little bit more of an involved process, right? So you're coming in on day one, you're going to do your workup. And then on day three, if everything looks good, you can start your stimulation beds. And you typically take those anywhere from 10 to 12 days. And during that time, you're going into the office a lot. You're going to do a lot of blood work, a lot of pricking, a lot of ultrasound. And they're going to follow your follicular development. And they're doing that in order to decide what the optimal time for ovulation is. And in IBS lingo, trigger means ovulate. So when we're all talking about trigger time, trigger time, that means, okay, we're going to make you ovulate. And then you will do your egg retrieval 36 hours after that. And then your recovery is one to two days after that, typically a little bit longer and to feel normal. And then you'll get your period. I think it's like anywhere from 10 to 14 days after that. And then you're kind of at like a reset there. But if you are wanting to get pregnant after that, some people will do a fresh transfer. So back up a little bit. You could actually come in five days after your egg retrieval and do a fresh transfer so that embryo is never frozen. They can transfer it right in. Or you can freeze them and you can come back whenever you want. You can come back in a month, whenever. And they can do a frozen embryo transfer. And that is that process is not involved as involved. Like you're not typically taking stimulation meds for that. You're taking you can take like estrogen and PIO, which is progesterone. They kind of want to beef up your lining. You're taking some some meds with that. And that process is anywhere I'm say like three weeks ish. I know that that process varies person to person for sure. Is there are a difference in recess rates if you do the transfer immediately after or if you freeze them and come back and do it later? And not to my knowledge. I do know that the a lot of people go in wanting to do a fresh transfer, but they they don't want to do it unless your lining is ready. Yeah. And the likelihood of it not being ready right after a stim, like an egg retrieval, it it happens a lot. That, that mm -hmm. I felt like these people want to come in, they want to do the transfer immediately, but then they're like, hey, let's not do it. Let's we, it. we don't want to waste any embryos when it's not optimal. Like, let's wait. We'll do it next cycle. But I, I don't know sense. the numbers on it. But to my Got knowledge, it. there's not a difference in the success rate. Yeah. What about even just creating embryos? Because I think people don't realize the difference between freezing eggs and freezing embryos. Because mm -hmm. when I was going to do it, I was going to literally just freeze eggs because I don't have another human to create an embryo with. Mm -hmm. Tori exactly. did not actually freeze her eggs. Yeah, she froze it. embryos. Mm -hmm. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yep. So freezing your eggs, like you said, Sam, you 
It can be just, it can just be you. And then later on down the road, once you find a partner, you can fertile, you can thaw all those eggs and fertilize them. You could decide like, hey, I want to use a donor and I want to thaw half of them and I'll use a donor. And then if I meet someone later, I can thaw the rest. But there is a funnel. I like to call it like a funnel for the amount of frozen or eggs that are retrieved, eggs that are frozen, eggs that survive the, the thaw, and then eggs that fertilize, and then eggs that fertilize to day five, and then are genetically normal, and then genetically normal like embryos, I mean, sorry. So once you're at day five, you pulled genetically frozen embryo. If you collected 20 eggs, you might only have two genetically normal embryos. And that would be like a very, that, that number happens all the time. So there's like a big funnel there with that. And I think a lot of people do think that, hey, if I freeze 24 eggs, that means I could have 24 embryos later. And that, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not going to happen. So is it better success or higher embryo count if you do the immediate egg retrieval and embryos right then and then freeze the embryos? Like, are they more likely to make it to actual genetically compatible with life embryos if you do that right then? That's a great question. And I don't know the answer to that one. Okay. I don't know the numbers on it. I think I I'm going to assume just because of the less freezing and thawing and refreezing, right? It makes, oh. that makes sense to me, but yeah. I, I don't, I'm not confident enough to say it. No, I appreciate yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like fertility, like, because what's interesting about this is since I've kind of started this process and we've been sharing what we're doing, I've gotten a mm-hmm. lot of questions from people about fertility and like how to optimize it. What are like the do's and don'ts mm-hmm. in terms of fertility? Like some things we should absolutely be doing and then the things we should absolutely not be doing in terms of optimizing that fertility. <laughs> yeah. So I I think there there's like a ton of things that when you go online and like you look like a ton of things like you can't eat, you can't eat, you can or can't eat that kind of thing. And I think that if you follow the idea that moderation is key is a great way to kind of start that process. So like, just eat healthy. Like if you are consuming alcohol, do it in a very like moderate type of fashion. You don't need to be like getting hammered every night and that kind of thing. And if you're, when you do want to get pregnant in the future, you're like, hey, I think like we're talking about it. We're getting ready to get started. I don't think it's a bad idea to cut things like alcohol, marijuana. If you're drinking five cups cups of coffee per day, knock it back down to the 200 milligram recommendation. Have one cup a day. Like kind of get yourself in the healthiest state that you can within reason. I think that when people are telling you, you know, like cut the alcohol, but then if you don't have a glass of wine, you're going to freak out. So it's like, just keep it like in, in general and moderation that it's like a great idea. And I think that a, a big don't is to like jump down the rabbit hole. And I think there's a lot of like, fear-driven information out there that really can make things hard for you. So try not to get wrapped up in the details of all that. Talk to your mom, talk to your sisters, talk to your friends, see what worked for them, what didn't work for them, and make an appointment with your doctor, follow their recommendations. What about any supplements or alternative medicine or therapy practices do you think can contribute or help? Yeah, so definitely with that prenatal, just get started on that early. I think starting on that three to six months is absolutely legitimate. We want that folic acid in your 
in your body. And I think like the official recommendation is 400 micrograms of that at least. And if you, I, we recommended 800 for our patients in the fertility clinic. And I think that's just to make sure it's all being like bioavailable and actually absorbed. But 400 mm-hmm. is the recommendation. You don't need to buy the really expensive brands on Instagram. Like you don't need to pay $40 a month for a prenatal vitamin. That's I was like, like, whoa, but you know, having a kid is expensive. Save some money where you can. You can buy the one a day at Giant or on Amazon or wherever. That one has 800. So it's all good. And I would probably just start there. I wouldn't jump in and get over, like, overdo the supplements at the beginning. Like, talk to your Mm -hmm. doctor, start with the prenatal and, and start. That was something that I will say in terms of when I first went in, we did blood work, obviously. And so he really sort of tailored the things that I was going to start taking based on that. Mm -hmm. And then also based on my hormone levels. So I know one thing that is very common in fertility is CoQ10 and then vitamin, is it D and DHA? Is that correct? Those are all like things that I feel like are very common. So that and then the prenatal vitamin, but that's also very much based on your your body. So that's something that I do think is it's good to have those recommendations from your fertility specialist of like, okay, how much should I be taking? And because that was a big mm-hmm. thing. Like I took a lot more of QQ10 than I was that even is prescribed, but that's or because it was by the doctor. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that you're right. I think that is a conversation with your doctor because we didn't recommend the same thing for everybody. So mm-hmm. it, it is a conversation. And if they want to check your vitamin D level, you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah, another conversation yeah. and seeing what they recommend because also, another thing about fertility is that you'll get a different answer if you talk to different people about certain For sure. Like, there's a lot of conflicting information out there. And so that's why I think that, like, anything that I'm saying right now, you could you could have your doctor be like, well, that's not the way I do it. This yeah. is right. what we're going to do. So yeah. it, the everything that I'm saying right now, it's super important that you also talk to your doctor about it. They, mm-hmm. They're the ones driving the ship and you're driving the ship. Yeah. So all these decisions should be made between you and your doctor. For sure. Right, I think right. it's super important, too, in the age of social media, because you can get in the different like Facebook groups or yeah. different fertility mm-hmm. groups. And someone's like, I swear by this or on TikTok, I suggest doing this and that. I was suggested CoQ10 and acupuncture, but that literally might not be a suggestion for someone else. Mm-hmm. And the dose might right. be way different than the dose Tori took. So it's yeah. like. But I think yeah. it was good to know, like, for example, what to ask about. Yeah. And for Sam and I both, CoQ10 and acupuncture were on our list. So it's like it's interesting because right. I do think that's worth a conversation. So people are aware like, oh, those are things in terms of fertility that are along those recommendations for in terms of like lifestyle. So like mm. you're talking like workouts, you're talking more activity. Are there things in terms of fertility world that are like, yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. Yeah. So in general, uh, like working out is great and keeping your body in like a healthy environment is great. But if you are working out in like extreme like situations, like kind of think like marathon runners and people that are really, really, really super pushing their body, sometimes that can affect fertility. It can affect whether you're having regular cycle. Like so if you think about it from that perspective, if you're like, hey, I've been a gymnast since I've been 16 years old and or sorry, like I'm 16. I've been a gymnast. I haven't gotten my period yet. Like Mm -hmm. intense amount of exercise Mm -hmm. is usually not good for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think that a good exercise routine is always great. Do I always do it? No. But like that kind of stuff is good. And I think 
when it comes to other lifestyle situations, like I said before, cutting the weed, the cigarettes, all that stuff. Yeah. Don't do it. Right. There is a ton of anecdotal information out there about marijuana and like pregnancy and stuff. And I feel strongly that the research isn't there. We don't do research on pregnant women. It's not when when you're trying so hard to have a baby, why would you don't or yeah, don't yeah, yeah. don't yeah. do that to yeah. when you could cut that out? You know what I Absolutely. mean? Like that's something that you can actually control. So take that control back. For um, sure. Are there any other internet fads out there about fertility that you kind of just want to weigh in on? That was my main one. Was, okay. Was Have you heard about the Mucinex thing? I see that all over TikTok. Oh, yeah. Wait, you told me about no. this. Mucinex Okay, babies. I'm not a TikTok girly, so please. Okay. I learn everything in life about TikTok. I've learned okay. more on TikTok than I did in college. So I keep seeing these TikToks of women that swear that they call them their Mucinex babies, where they've even gone through IVF and had failed attempts, or they've had to cancel their IVF that was scheduled because Mucinex, like, thins, thins your lining. Your your uterine lining and they just swear by it. And it's obviously there's zero research, zero literature. It's just anecdotally women on TikTok that swear by their ex-babies. And I'm always, that is, so I was like, no to self, stop taking, I always take mucinex when I'm sick because it helps me like, Clear yeah, up yeah. my okay. So you're saying ingestion. they stopped taking it. You're saying they no, they take it they purposefully. Take it. They don't need it. They're not sick. They just they take mucinex when they're trying to naturally conceive. Hmm. But but we want to we want to thicken it up. Oh, so that it, maybe, I don't know. Maybe science. I don't know. We got to look. I, gotta, I don't. This is TikTok. This is not like, science. This is really interesting. You know, but I was like, I oh shit! It. Like note to self: stop. Okay, well, this yeah, is another stop. funny one. So I listened to the Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald, and she was saying she was just literally saying this the other day that sh- she has the juicy way of getting of making a baby, and basically she was saying was the day your period stops, you basically have sex every other day, and she said like the her. The amount of juicy scoopers that have said, I've gotten pregnant your way. Oh, it is thins like your cervical mucus. That's what it is. I was like, I have okay, to Google it this. It doesn't make sense. To, to allow sperm to go through. Yeah, to look at oh, it. Okay. It gives them a better okay. Yeah, it Here thins we go. your cervical mucus. See, we love okay. a good side effect. We love, I was like, okay. I'm, stopped. I'm never taking mucinex again because I don't want to get accidentally pregnant. So I was like, dear God. Okay, I, I mean, but hey, then you when you what? Google it, there's no actual evidence or research to support it. But you know, yeah, yeah. the internet, the internet fads are wild out there. In theory, in theory, it makes sense. I just, you yeah, know, oh, I uh, guess, yeah. I don't know. And trying to get pregnant, they they are we'll gonna do go after yeah. whatever they can find. Yeah, yeah. Quick question about this. This is like a personal question slash for a lot of our listeners out there because a lot of us yeah. are on nights. How do yeah. you think night shift affects fertility? Like, is this Something we should be considering, like, give us the real tea. I want to know the real, real. Okay. Yeah, break um, our hearts. <laughs> break if, our hearts. Break my heart. Okay. I. There are some people that are very functional on night shift. And that's mm-hmm. how they live their lives. And it doesn't stress their body out. And they, that that is their new lifestyle, right? I think that when you're like I did going back and forth from day shift to night shift and not drinking enough water and going home and not eating and going to bed and sleeping the whole day and then going back and doing more. 
I think that would probably have something to do with it. Yes, I it just like think about stress, right? Like I, I'm sure in the NICU it was similar to L and D. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I was stressed all the time. I didn't take care of myself. But I think the the best advice there would probably be just to know your limit, like and know yourself, right? So if you need, if you're trying to have a baby and it's not working. And you're like, okay, like I was talking about with like control, there was only a little bit of control that you have mm-hmm. in fertility, right? So yeah. with that, if you can change, if that means you need a vacation, like take two weeks of vacation, if, you're, if you can get that, 100%. dial it back a little bit. Or if that means finding a new job. But I also, yeah. I mean, gosh, I had a bajillion pregnant coworkers on night shift. So it, yeah. yeah, it just to each their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think just kind of knowing yourself and knowing your body, like if you're going to be stressed out on night shift and it's going to affect you, then you might need yeah. to make a change. Advocate for yourself. Speaking yep. of vacation, so I again on TikTok because I have no life saw that <laughs> this woman posted her and her husband on vacation in the British Virgin Islands, and she said she did IVF for like ten thousand dollars. And flew there and did it. And she was like, not only did I get a free vacation or like a vacation out of it, but I saved money doing it. I just thought it was interesting because let's talk about the cost of it here. Mm-hmm. Because it's very it's, pricey. Yeah, not yeah. accessible, easily accessible. And I know you definitely helped Tori out with some cost savings as well. So yes. let's get into all that. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So it's very, very expensive. And I think that that is... The most commonly asked question when it comes to egg freezing, IVF, everything, it is the biggest barrier. And I think that we are changing and more insurances are starting to cover it, but it's really expensive. And some people are taking out second mortgages on their home because they are going through IVF. And for some Mm -hmm. people, they're on their sixth cycle of IVF. And when you're talking about $20,000 cycles plus, that is a very, very, very large yeah. sum of money. Yes. So it is. it is very expensive. And it, I mean, these tech companies and like a lot of progressive companies are starting to cover it. I think, I think Oracle is like infertility coverage unlimited. There are some wow. companies that literally, and wow. like I know some people that have changed That's jobs really to get these benefits. Mm-hmm. for this purpose and it makes sense if yeah. it's gonna cost you know, that much money and it that makes sense and so i think that maybe you know that that's a really good point and probably something that i should research because i bet you there are some companies out there that egg where egg freezing in general it's about 8 to 20k right yeah and it's i personally haven't really seen the eight thousand dollar one yeah um, i was gonna say yeah i think it's, i like meaning that's ours, cheap yeah that's cheap oh, okay yeah. I, uh, yeah ours was i'll just be very open about it. ours is about 20k with meds oh you did the embryo freezing embryo not just freezing. egg freezing correct yeah and that did include important. genetic testing the pgt testing is that correct how we say it, I, yeah, I believe you did pgta which yeah. determines if it's euploid or aneuploid does that sound right i think so and then in terms of IVF, you would add another 5K if we're doing a, a, a transfer, right? An embryo sure. transfer right. or, okay. Right. So I'm assuming so, the 8K is 
on the lower end of people who are just freezing their own eggs and that's it. Maybe. Yeah, that would yeah. that would be on the well, that, very low yeah. end. And that I think that would be it would be a very low end and somebody who I was told it was about 10K. For, okay. Well, because just you're not like sense. all you're paying for extra doctor visits to do the blood work on you and Jacob to look right. at your genetics to actually do the embryo transfer and then to test the embryos. Yeah. That is mm -hmm. basically yeah. double mm -hmm. the cost of just yeah, okay, that's a good pulling point. your egg out and throwing them in a freezer. Yeah, just to get the yeah. ballpark, though. That's yeah. about what it is. Right. Yeah, so I, I think yeah. it's just important to clarify because there's people that are like in my situation that don't yeah. are looking to freeze their eggs with out any embryo without any and they are just like right. maybe I'm getting older I'm single I don't know if I want to have kids later I put my career I'm not sure and they want to just freeze eggs I think would be a lot cheaper than someone who's doing what you and Jacob did yeah so I don't want to scare that, those people away from yeah, exploring sure. the option I mean there's a big difference between egg freezing and embryo 100 yeah and I will say this okay kind of going into our personal journey so What's interesting is the one thing I regret about this whole process is that I didn't do it sooner. Like, Same. truly. Like, I wish that I had done this at 30. Mind you, I'm so glad that I met you, Jess. <laughs> and obviously, everything happens for a reason. But in terms of how I, I think I would have felt so different physically if I had done it at 30, right? Like, the hormones you take and the 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 toll that it does take on your body just being very very like honest about it I just uh, the way that I like to coin it is I felt huge haggard and horny it was like the weirdest combination of things like I was like I'm so exhausted I feel like a 16 year old boy I'm so tired but then I want to have sex and you really can't you know, yes. especially during this process so yeah. but I do feel like that was something that I wish I had done a little bit earlier I absolutely and I just recently read something. I wish I could tell you where it was, but I don't remember. It was that women in America, when you're 20 years old, you know about boob jobs, you know about nose jobs, you know about mm -hmm. like all these things that you can do, right? Which more power to you. Go get those things if you want them. But they don't know about egg freezing. Mm -hmm. And so right. I think, you know, what we're doing right now and talking about it and being like, hey, knock this out when you're 20, take the pressure off of dating when mm -hmm. you're later, use this as an insurance policy, mm -hmm. and it's only going to serve you better. That being said, though, like we we're talking about, it's super expensive and not everybody can pay for that. So I'm hoping that as time goes on, more insurance people start to cover it. But absolutely, the earlier, the better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know? And I want to talk about this really quick, too, because what's really interesting is we have things like modern fertility, right? And when Sam and I started this process, we both did modern fertility. And something that was interesting is so when I did it, my AMH level, which is the indicator of how many follicles or your ovarian reserve was on the lower side. And so but yeah, it's, mine was higher than yours. Your, hers was higher than mine. But then my follicle count. But sucks. it's interesting because, OK, at that time, when I got that number, I didn't really like you didn't feel think urgency. about it. I didn't feel an urgency. And and okay. I think that's because of how it was presented. Now, fast forward, when I did my first consultation, I had sent them those labs. We did the consultation. We sat down with Dr. Gadir for about 30 minutes on the phone. We talked to him. I told him about the AMH and he said, OK, we're going to draw it just to make sure. So I did my, my labs, just baseline, no medications and my ultrasound. And he basically came back and he said, OK, so here's my recommendation. 
based on that number, we got basically was saying like, we got to get on it because your ovarian reserve is on the lower side. Mm-hmm. And so I was on automatically like a different protocol than even I would have been potentially a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting because even things like that, it doesn't necessarily give you all the information that you may need. Right. Like, I think what's mm-hmm. interesting is I had that number and but I just didn't know. I didn't understand the urgency of it yeah. from a perspective of someone who is a specialist. And for, so right. I just think it's interesting and good things to talk about, because even though you have the data, like, I think that's why we go to to specialists. No, and and I was genuinely shocked when I went to do the first ultrasound. I was like, I had already had the meds delivered. They're literally still sitting in my fridge because I don't know what to fucking do with them. But I had already pre had the meds delivered so that I could start them. And because my insurance covered them, thankfully. Yeah. And I went in thinking, okay, I'm going to get my ultrasound. I had started my period. I'm going to go home and start my meds that night. And they were like, no, (laughs) with the follicle count. So I was actually kind of like, a little blindsided, I felt, because I thought that even though I knew I was 36 at the time, that my labs and my AMH were good based on my age. And I was surprised when they were kind of like, no, like it's still not optimal, like ultrasound results. I think for me, that was the biggest thing. And I asked Jacob before we did this episode, I said, what are some things that like you think you learned through this process? And he basically said that this is out of your control. Like, it's really interesting Mm -hmm. because you can hope for the best and you can really want so bad you can optimize as much as you can. But it's truly something that you kind of have to go in with just expectations being like, we may not get anything, Mm -hmm. to be honest. I'm we're lucky. We're fortunate. We have two healthy embryos out of all the eggs that they collected and but we have two, which I'm very thankful for. But we could have none. And I think that's something to wrap your head around when, when you're going through this process is being okay with what the results are. And that is hard to do. It's a really hard thing to do, especially when you're spending a lot of money on this. Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that the biggest heartbreakers in this process are when you go in with these expectations. Like you said, it's a financial investment. It's a physical investment. It's emotional. You're taking time off of work. You're you're doing all these Mm -hmm. things. And then to not get the result that you were hoping for, not even get close to it. It's just... Mm -hmm. I, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's hard and, as women. You're like, think your body is like, you're born for your body to create life and procreate. And then you're like, what What do you get on board? What are you doing? What is going on? <laughs> but you have right. no control. And especially, yeah. when, especially when there's no reason for it, right? So like these people who have unexplained infertility or they, when everything, all of their labs look good, they're like, I don't mm. understand. Like what, what is happening? And then when we can't give answers, that sucks. It all sucks. What what do you kind of recommend as mental health support for people that are having a tough time with fertility? Yeah, I think that every clinic that I've ever like seen and looked into, they all have awesome resources for this. There are people that are therapists that specialize in IVF and as much as it's helpful to talk to your friends that have been through it or your family members or and like me, like I understand it, but I'm not trained to help you work through that. So mm-hmm. I think that being able to talk to a professional that understands the process that can actually help you get through it, it's super beneficial. Yeah. And I also in connecting with people who have done it, too, is to know you're not alone. It's absolutely priceless, too. 
This was I, so it's funny because I think for me personally, I'm I'm so thankful to have connected with you. And here's why. Because I think what you did for me was you really handheld me through the times where I had the stupid questions or I'm like, I don't I know this is something that I can get answered quickly, but I just I just don't know. And so to have you as someone when I was going through it, whether it was like, okay, I'm giving myself this injection, but am I doing this right? Am I correct when saying like, am I taking these medications at the right times? Trigger shot, how important is it that it's like that time? You were 100% worth all the time, all the money, all the, like for me, Mm -hmm. I feel like having you through this process was super invaluable. And I think for so many women going through this, even things like this, I didn't know this and this wasn't on my thing, like medications that I should not be taking, one of those being NSAIDs, which during pregnancy, I know that. But like during this process, I totally forgot. And you're like, oh, yeah, don't take ibuprofen, like just little things where mm-hmm. you're just kind of like, here's a tip, 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 tip. Mm-hmm. And it really helped me, I think, optimize my process, my cycle. And so that's why I was so excited to connect with you because you were really giving me kind of the behind the scenes of like, okay, this is why your doctor ordered this. This is why you you transcribed things without me having to ask, which was very invaluable for me personally. Thank you. I, I am so glad that we connected too and being able to talk you through that. It, it, I really feel like what often happens is people are handed a stack of papers at the beginning of this and they're like, read these. And yeah, then their the expectation is that you read all of them and all of it. And then that's not, I mean, no clinic out there is like not trying to help their patients at all. Like everybody's doing their best. Yeah. But right. I I think that having somebody to answer the the smaller questions where you wouldn't necessarily like want to sit on a, on a nursing line and call and be like, can I take this or this or this? You're not going to sit mm-hmm. there and go through everything. So I think having having that is it's helpful. And that mm-hmm. was definitely my goal. I think once I realized when I was working as a nurse, there were a lot of patients that really wanted the extra handholding and God, mm-hmm. I wanted to give it. I really did. Yeah, for sure. And um, that's interesting that you say that because I know there's a nurse in our clinic and I think she was feeling the same way. You just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like even the nurses who work through. there, they don't have the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a stack of this many people they need to call back. I mean, that's the thing, too. And I'll say these are the top things for me when I was going through that I wish that I had known. So and this is something that I feel like Jess really helped me through. So the first thing is the time off work. So what's interesting is when Sam and I initially were starting this process, you had mentioned like we need to take the time off. And it's funny because I actually really soup to nuts when I when I was thinking about how much time I needed, it was probably honestly about three weeks. Yeah. And the reason for that is because one, I'm on night shifts. So that's stressful on my body. It's exhausting. Two, you're in and out of collecting blood work and ultrasounds. You're in and out of the clinic so often. And I just really wanted to optimize and stay as calm and stress-free as possible. But the thing that was interesting is for the recovery after Mm -hmm. you do your procedure, the collection, I went back to work the Monday. So I had it on Friday. And I went back to work on Monday night. And that was too soon for me. I went for your back. type of job for sure. Too. Yep. Maybe a yep. desk job where you're just for sure. going back and you're going to chill. But uh, you running 12 hours uh, on your feet. Absolutely. That's not. a lot. I got home that, that morning yeah. and my heart was racing. My feet started to swell. 
I was starting to get dizzy. And so immediately I called my clinic and I let them know and then I had to do follow up. But they basically said, okay, you're off the rest of the week. Yeah. My estrogen levels were still really high. But we don't, it's interesting because we don't talk about those kinds of mm -hmm. things. And I think it's important to really understand this whole process. The other thing too, which I thought was interesting is to some degree, this type of process is very transactional. And so what I mean by that is you have less time with a doctor than you think you do, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think in my head, I was going to have a lot more connection with a doctor, which and validating what you're saying is there's just so many patients, right? It's very in, it's very out. It's, oh, you're going to do labs and ultrasound. And their job really is to assess everything on the back end. But that doesn't always mean you have forward facing mm -hmm. connection with a doctor. But honestly, which is why I liked having you, because I feel like you kind of were like, OK, so like this is why this is happening this way. And this is kind of translating, you know, what this means in your plan of care. And this is why we're doing that. And I just I guess I didn't really realize that when you go into it, you know, how transactional is how much time you need off. And I think also the other thing, which is really interesting, is how much you helped us save money. So my medications were self-paid. Jacob and I, we didn't go through insurance. We don't have insurance that covers this. So it's out of pocket. And I think it's like 8K alone just yes. for the meds, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So I will say this. My medication regimen, we got it down to about 4,500. Wow. You helped me. She helped me yeah. shop it. And look around and I wouldn't have known how to do that. I have no idea what pharmacies to call. Do they correlate? Well, a lot of times it's not given as an option. It's like, hey, this is 100%. the pharmacy we use and this is how much the meds are. And you're like, okay, yep, okay. you don't really realize that you can shop it around I or had that no there's idea. options. And so you helped me shop it. And I think that's also something really interesting to talk about just mm -hmm. as like a point is like you can shop those things, but understanding having the hand holding and having someone to support you through that is really, really important. So that's why I'm like, because you don't know what you don't know. Right. I absolutely. And it takes a lot. I feel like if you don't know much about the process to call a fertility specialist clinic and be like, hey, these are all the meds that I'm on, because there's a lot like the list that you sent me, like what people patients take is a lot. It's it's that's yeah. intimidating. And then it's not it's not really like a, a legit negotiation. They're not giving me a better rate because I'm giving them a hard time. Like that's not a thing. But mm -hmm. just the fact that the one clinic that I happened to call actually knew your doctor too, which gave you additional money off too. Like I when yeah. once that happened, I was like, oh wow. Okay. But there's definitely it when you're spending that much money it's worth putting a little bit of time into it if you're looking to save. And there is also a little bit of a nuance to it when you're dealing with insurance as well. So let's say you have a 20K lifetime maximum for fertility coverage. Right. And you are talking to your doctor. You're going to try three rounds of IUI first and then you're going to move into IVF. And you're expecting that it might take a few, a few times to get through, right? Like, so... It might be smarter to use your insurance and pay for your care that way, but then to pay self-pay for your meds and get the reduced rates, not go through your insurance because the mm -hmm. upcharge on that is huge. It's mm -hmm. absolutely huge. So you could end up saving quite a bit mm -hmm. if you do self-pay for meds. And, and it is a gamble, right? Like there's no guarantees. You could get pregnant off that first IUI. And if you did, how wonderful, right? Yeah. But yeah. I think that I think that kind of understanding a little bit of the background. So like if you came to me and you were kind of telling me about it, I might 
I might suggest like, hey, you might want to go self-pay on this. It might save you a lot of money in the long run. So mm-hmm. I think kind of understanding some of that, it, pretty, it, it could save you a lot. I think even just having someone to run that buyer to even pros, pose those questions to you is super helpful because mm-hmm. otherwise you just, here's the plan and you follow it. Yeah. So without having someone like to mention things or that bring was it to your attention. exactly yeah. what it was. And I love that you bring that up yeah. because that's kind of what, you know, that's what it is. And to some degree, that's what it has to be when you have that yeah. many patients. But that's mm-hmm. what I really enjoyed was having kind of like that little extra handhold. And not that I, I, for me, to be quite honest, this is how I did it. When I heard, I went through Dr. Goodyear's office through Southern California Reproductive. And the reason I chose him was based on a podcast and then also some research that I had done in the area. And for me, to be honest, I was like, all I care about is results. Mm -hmm. I, at the end of the day, I don't care how much love and nurturing I really get. Like, I just want a good result. Sending the money, I want it to work. 100%. So for me, I'm not going into this mentally being like, but there are, but there was an extra layer that I will say, Jess, of when we're going through this process as women and when you're going through these hormones, I'm telling you guys, I was haggard. I like could not think. And I'm like, is this what pregnancy feels like? Because literally, like, I 100% now I'm like, oh my God, like, I have so much. Imagine uh, being like that for. 40 weeks. Oh, 100%. I'm like, this is crazy. But what's interesting is you're just so exhausted. You're tired. And I will say this too, is you helped me with the things that I did not want to do. Like, and I also had some support. And I will say this from Jacob, who was a wonderful partner. And I think what's interesting and something that I've heard is like, in terms of partnerships, it is really nice to have someone who's in it with you. And I don't mean you got to do like every shot, right? Like you don't have to do every single thing. But like, genuinely when I mean this like he was very interested in this process which is also really fun for me as like okay like I have someone who's genuinely into this with me which I I, in terms of partnerships I'm sure that the reactions to this kind of thing are all over the board he was 100% overwhelmed by all the medications and by all that but he was like okay I'm overwhelmed but I'm here with you and we're doing it together so I was like I do think that's a big thing, too, in terms of as a, if you're doing it with a partner, doing it together and having that kind of like, all right, we're pushing this boulder up the hill together and we're going to figure it you, out. Doing it solo is yeah. hard because when I went in the I'm ultrasound, sure. I went by myself, obviously. And then I left and I sat in my car and cried by myself because I'm like not expecting to not have like I thought I was going to be good to go. And then I was like, all right, I'm I mean, at least for the. It wasn't going to be any IM injections for just the egg retrieval because it wasn't going to be the whole extra steps. So I was like, oh, I could sub cue myself all day. But I'm yeah. like, that's a big yeah. difference having a good support system that's yeah. willing to give you injections or just here's some food. Shout like, out to all the down. girls who yeah. do it, who do this without a partner. And if you do have a friend who's doing it, give them some extra love. Send but also them, shout out to like the partners love. that are supporting people because... I don't think they get enough recognition. Like, yes, you're going through the hormones that are in your body and it's you're taking the physical toll. But to be there and like truly support someone like that, I don't think they get enough recognition for how much that yeah, it does weighs on them or what a like process that is for them either. For it's sure. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I um, 100% agree. And I think that I, I've done this. I did like a concierge service with somebody else as well and her experience was very different than yours Tori and she didn't necessarily feel supported by her clinic and when she's 
panicking and needing answers to questions and nobody's answering them and she has nobody to talk to. She was able to call me and we could make a plan and get ourselves organized and go forward. So I think having somebody, whether it's a partner or your mom, best friend, like you got to have somebody to talk through because like you said, you're on the hormones. And when something oh isn't God. going the way you want it to go, you're going to go from zero to 100 and you're going to be like, somebody, I need some, yeah. I need some help here. You know, yeah. I'm crazy enough just when I'm on my period. 100%. So it's like, I can't. We so, all are. Yeah. Like, give us the, the lowdown then on your fertility support yeah. services and everything about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I really am trying to make this be something that everybody can use. I, I, doing like a lower cost, just straight up consultation type of service where you don't know how much help you're going to actually need. And you can just go online, make an appointment. You could make an appointment for the time you need to give your meds. I can sit on the phone with you. You can give your meds the first time you do it because giving yourself shots. <laughs> well, yeah. And like, I mean, you're a, you're a nurse, right? A nurse, like you, I was you've like, given oh, shots so before. Dumb. But and no, but not not that you're dumb, but like imagine being somebody who's never held a syringe before and then they're expected to give four injections to themselves at just like one time. Like it's just I I understand it. It's part of the process. Everybody signed up for it. I get it. But it's intimidating. And to have Mm -hmm. somebody be there to just be like, okay, like, let me see. They're like, do I have the bubble down all the way? They just want someone to get a second pair of eyeballs. And it's super. I mean, I can just sit down and do that. And. I'm I'm trying to to do it in a way that's affordable for everybody. So what I'm doing is we'll do it. You'll sign up for like a 30 or a 60 minute consult and then you'll pay in 15 minute increments. So if it only takes 45 minutes and you signed up for 60, I'm only going to charge you for the 45 minutes. I want it. I don't just, want I, I don't yeah. want to. This yeah. isn't a money grab or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like I really yeah. want to get back into this and like help people and that kind of thing. And then the other side of it is the concierge service. And this is like a little bit more of an involved thing, like where I would be diving in and like calling the pharmacies for you, give you my personal cell phone number. You can text me, call me. Like I try to make myself available all the time. And, and I will say this just as a quick note. So you, the amount of money that you helped me save in terms of the medication mm-hmm. cost and then also the ease that you provided me mentally was beyond worth it. Yeah. <laughs> like. For sure. Uh, to me, it felt like an investment because here's the thing when you're spending this much money, anyways, to me, I'm like, let's maximize this process. And having you was was truly invaluable. So I just want to plug that. Well, yeah, it pays for itself in the medication you know, cost savings, literally. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I obviously can't guarantee that medication no. savings right, for to everybody, sure. but like, I no, promise yeah. I will work hard for it. Like, I will do my due yeah. diligence to to try to get you like the best rate I can find. But for that, I'm going to charge like $500 per treatment cycle. And that's, I just started this. So if you guys have, or you're coming in, you're like, hey, Jess, I think this is what I'm going to need. This is what I, I want to talk to you. I want to help. So yeah. Yeah. please just reach out if you have questions. Like I am yeah, amazing. ready. Wonderful. No, I mean, I know I, when I first, Tori told me, oh my gosh, I talked to this fertility nurse. And then she, I've heard nothing but amazing things about how much you helped her through the entire process. So yeah, that's yeah, wonderful. Firsthand I mean, experience I'm here. very thankful. And yeah, I mean, it's just kismet. It's like how this, how the world works. We're just sharing the story and then we're sharing our experience. And then we met and that's what this 
that's why this is why I love social media. <laughs> like that's the right? this is the good things that are coming. So yeah, we're very thankful for your time. Is there any like good life tip or a life motto that you live by that you can leave for the selfie listeners? I think the biggest thing to take away from today is to advocate for yourself. I think that's like number one. And that's really all I'm doing on my end is just helping you advocate for yourself, right? But no matter what you're doing, whether you're at work or you're at home or with your partner, like in relationships, but especially in a fertility journey, it's so hard. It's not easy, but standing, not standing up for yourself, but but making sure that you understand what's going on and asking those questions and and demanding that they're answered, I think is so important. And I think that in fertility treatment, it's easy to feel like just a number like we were talking about and you feel shuffled between the rooms during the appointments and stuff. So if you've got questions, like ask them, advocate for yourself. You can do it. You're not alone. We're all here for you. I can be a resource for you. Tori and Sam can. We're all here for you. I love that, though. I mean, that's good advice, whether it's fertility or your career or other health issues. Like, that's the best advice ever, I think. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jess, for coming on today. We we really appreciate your time and your expertise in this world that we are unfamiliar with. Where can everyone find all your information? Oh, yes. So if you go to www.fertilitytreatmentsupport.com, that's my website. You'll find everything on there. But I'm also on Instagram at Fertility Treatment Support. So you can find me on there. Um, Yes. And shout out. I've saved, we have, I've saved highlight of our egg freezing process. And I've saved Jess's information in there too, just for you guys, if you guys are interested. And you can find her in the show notes as well. Yep. We're going to have all of those things and your resources linked there for everybody. Perfect. Well, Yay, we love thank you. you. Thank you so much. This was so informational. I wish that we had this episode a year ago before we even went down this journey ourselves. Rabbit hole. But here <laughs> right? we are. I, I hey, get you know it. what? No time like the present. Right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on. I had, really had a great time chatting. Thank with you. you. Awesome. Thank you, Jess. One of the coolest things about her services, too, that she told us is that if there are places clinics that if you are freezing your eggs they will cover the cost if you're willing to donate like mm. half your eggs yeah it's funny because we had just finished recording we were just kind of talking and she mentioned this yeah. you know because we obviously price and cost is a big issue something that I know we had mentioned is you know oftentimes insurance companies or your employer will cover it which is great but this is a really cool thing that I don't think many people know so I think it's just another shout out to having someone in your corner that can help you find those resources or guide you down those avenues. So that's why we love her service. Absolutely. So head over, check her out on IG, Fertility Treatment Support. You guys, she is so wonderful. Send her a message, you know, definitely hit her up. Let her know what you thought of this episode. This episode was very special um, and we're very, very excited to share it with you guys. So um, thank you as always for being here with us. Yes. We love this. Um, And make sure you're following us on our IG. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You find all the goodies there linked in the bio for you. Thank you so much for all your reviews. If you drop your IG handle in the review, we will reach out and send you free stickers, goodies, selfie swag, and five stars on Spotify. Appreciate it. Love you. Thank you. Love you. And make sure you're following us on our IG. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And stay tuned for a fun bonus. Get ready. Bye. Bye. Bye.